From PRX and Radiotopia, this is the Memory Palace. I want to thank everyone who joined us during the Radiotopia Fund Drive this past month. Nearly 20,000 people gave, and that is remarkable. And so many of them were sustaining partners, giving what they can each month. And I can honestly say that Radiotopia is now, if not wealthy, healthy, and thriving even, thanks to your support. We can look out toward next year, the next couple of years, and we can plan and plot and grow. And in this current media landscape where magazines and websites that people read and people love just shut down all the time because of someone watching some corporate bottom line somewhere, that stability is a gift. If you gave and you are wondering what that gift might do, I'll tell you. For me, it means that I can commit to putting out an episode every other week starting early next year. So thank you so much. And thanks to Audible.com for sponsoring every episode this season. Audible is the leader in spoken word audio. I have been a subscriber to Audible for more than a decade. Every month I get to choose two audiobooks. I can pick from every genre from 180,000 titles. And it makes my life better. Full stop. Audible is the best. Find out for yourself. Get a free audiobook when you sign up for a free one-month trial today. Go to audible.com memory and sign up. Pick your free book. Listen on any one of your devices, in your car, on a hike, waiting in line at the coffee shop. Start your free trial and get your free audiobook today at audible.com memory. Thanks, too, to parachutehome.com. Click over there and discover just how easy it is to get terrific-looking, high-quality, comfortable bedding essentials from the comfort of your own home. These are bedding basics, duvets, sheets, the whole deal, with a classic unfussy look, and they feel great. Go to parachutehome.com memory and use the offer code memory to get 25 bucks off your first purchase. That's parachutehome.com memory and use offer code memory. And here is the final episode of this fall season. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back after the holidays at some point in January for a brand new era of Memory Palace with new episodes every other week. Uh, in the meantime, do me a favor. If you like the podcast, tell someone about the podcast. Send them your favorite episode. Spread the word. And I'll see you and them, hopefully, with new episodes in January. Here's episode 80. Shore leave. This is the Memory Palace. I'm Nate DeMeo. The money was burning a hole in their pockets. Saturday night, just got paid. And it was all about to go off. The boys in the barracks put on their dress blues. Could see their tomcat smiles and the shine of their shoes. Easter tomorrow. Church tomorrow for most of them if they managed to wake up. But tonight was a different story. The dress uniform wasn't required. These Coast Guard men could just go out in civilian clothes. It would have been fine, but why would they? When they could go out in the town, this town, a hell of a town, Bronx up, battery down, on a spring night in 1943, with the bulk of the city's eligible bachelors off to war, and the ratio of men to women tipped delightfully in their favor, and patriotic ladies looking to help the war effort any way they could. And you and your squad could roll up in the spot, in your press dress blues, and your competition is some 4FD bag in a flannel suit. Didn't matter that you were in the Coast Guard, not a Navy man off to fight Nazis off the shores of Tripoli. How would they even know? A couple of Rob Roy's into the evening in some dance hall downtown, and a man in uniform is a man in uniform is a man you're necking with in a cab around midnight. And besides, one of these gals ask you when you're shipping out. 
ask you what your mission is, you just say it's classified. Which is both smooth as hell and totally true. These Coast Guardsmen, watching the clock tick down till shore leave in April of 1943, were the primary line of defense at a top secret military facility just outside of Jersey City, New Jersey, a stone's throw from the Statue of Liberty, where hundreds of thousands of tons of munitions were loaded onto ships and sent off to arm the sailors and soldiers and Marines fighting in Europe and North Africa. So when these young men weren't out on the prowl at the Stork Club or the Beachcomber or the Copacabana, they were keeping a keen eye out for saboteurs and cigarette smokers. You ash in the wrong place and the whole thing goes up like that. And reminding longshoremen to leave their lucky strikes back at the truck wasn't exactly parachuting behind enemy lines or whatever, but the girl twirling her auburn hair around her finger at the end of the bar didn't need to know that. You were a man in uniform on a top secret mission. And yes, in fact, you would like to dance. But the other men in uniform, especially other sailors, Navy men who were actually dodging torpedoes or ducking kamikazes while these bros were out macking on secretaries and shop girls, hated these dudes, called them subway sailors, called them cowards, who got to take the A train home from mama's cooking. Well, they were putting their lives in the line overseas. And there was something to that. Let's be honest. These men, they had a comfortable war. Other Coast Guardsmen were getting shot up while landing Marines at Guadalcanal. These ones listened to Yankee games while confiscating Zippos. But make no mistake, they could have died at any moment. One accident, one fire, one act of espionage, and it would have been all over. Just like on Black Tom's Island during the last war, where not far from there, the ways up the river, a German agent slipped past security in another munitions depot and blew the thing sky high. Seven people died. Hundreds of people were injured. The blast knocked out windows 25 miles away. Shrapnel ripped holes in the Statue of Liberty's dress. And all of that would have been nothing compared to an explosion at Caven Point, which could have flattened everything for a five-mile radius. A radius that included Newark and Staten Island and Liberty Island and most of Manhattan Island and every man reading the daily news in the G-Train, every woman getting off the ferry for a night in the town with her girls, every parent pushing every child on every swing in every park, not to mention every one of those subway sailors talking smack and slicking their hair back in the barracks just after 6 p.m. when a fire alarm went off. And they were off. 30 subway sailors, dressed to the nines, hopped on the back, on the sides and the bumpers, hung from the windows of a truck rumbling toward the dock, passing ashen longshoremen and stevedores running for their lives in the opposite direction, away from the SS Estero, a wheezing old freighter at the end of the pier that was billowing black smoke. The Statue of Liberty aglow in the late afternoon light just beyond, between this powder keg and lower Manhattan, and the men reading the daily news in the G-Train, unaware that they were about to die. The sailors jumped down to the gravel road and sprinted to the pier and up the gangplank and onto the SS Estero, seeking the source of the smoke, finding it down in the belly of the boat, where a slick of oil burned in the bilge water. But they had known it before they had descended the stairs, 
They knew an oil fire by the black of the smoke, by the smell caught in their noses, burning in their chests. There was no time for gas masks, and no hope for water. Not to put out an oil fire. To keep it from crawling up the walls, keep it from triggering the bombs, maybe. But not to put it out. That would take chemicals, and some way to get those chemicals right on the fire. They didn't have either. With the fire so hot they couldn't get near enough to the source, they felt the bombs burning their hands. 1,600 tons of explosives packed onto that boat. Enough to flatten not just a neighborhood, but this neighborhood, which itself was packed with tens upon tens of thousands of tons of bombs, which were about to blow. The subway sailors had to cool down the bombs there on the boat. Had to do it right away. If one went, they all went. They took fire axes to the portholes, to the skylight and the bridge, and pulled hoses from the fireboats that had pulled up alongside the Estero, pulled the hoses through the holes, aimed the water at the ammunition, ran around figuring out which rocket, which one-ton bomb was about to blow, to hose it down and hold it off, while the black smoke flooded their noses and their mouths and their lungs, and the steam seared their eyes and soaked their dress blues. On shore on the docks, men hauled munitions away on carts, as far away as they could get, Maybe if they could get them far away enough when the Estero blew, maybe they could save Newark, if not Jersey City. Save Midtown, if not Downtown. Save themselves, maybe. But this fire wasn't going out. Not in time. Not before one of these bombs blew up. Not before these subway sailors blew up. There was only one thing they could do. They had to drag the bombs in the Estero away from the bombs on shore and avoid a chain reaction. They called for tugboats. Three crews volunteered. They would start pulling the freighter out to the mouth of the harbor. Every league they could put between the SS Estero and the depot might be another neighborhood saved. Might be Bayonne, New Jersey. Might be the Metropolitan Museum. Every subway sailor stayed aboard except one. He was kicked off. He was going to get married next week. He had someone to live for. So he stood on the dock as his friends pulled away and threw down their wallets so if he survived he could prove that they were there on that boat on that night trying to save the city before their bodies atomized out on the Hudson and he watched as the SS Estero pulled away drawn by three tugboats with three captains who may well have wondered why they had been so quick to volunteer heading into the harbor as night fell hoses from the fireboats writhing like the tentacles of the Leviathan as the SS Estero was pulled out from the depot but toward Liberty Island, toward Staten Island, toward nowhere safe. And for three hours, the subway sailors breathed in the smoke of a fire they couldn't put out, kept hosing down rockets and bullets and bombs, while the heat from below deck burned the soles of their shined-up shoes, spraying more water and more water, until the SS Estero sank, and the subway sailors abandoned ship escaping with their lives in a story they wouldn't be allowed to tell for years. And the fire went out. And the man in the G-train read the daily news. And the women got off the ferry for a night on the town with their girls. And parents pushed children in swings and parks. <laughs>